Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So this week we have a listener-suggested topic, and we really like those. Get in touch with us at troubleshootingagile.com. There's lots of ways to, to do it there. And in this case, our, a listener named Jamie wrote us an email and said how much he had liked earlier episodes. He was going back to earlier episodes. Believe it or not, you can do that. We have like almost 100 now, Jeffrey. We've been doing tons of these. So he had gone back to, to an old episode that mentioned the uh, Feature Factory, one of our favorite ideas uh, by uh, a guy named Cutler, if I've got his name right. We'll put the uh, uh, the link to his original article and the, the follow-up uh, in the show notes, because that's what Jamie was writing us about. He said, there's a follow-up three years later to the original Feature Factory article. And we said, oh, fantastic. Let's go have a look at that. So uh, thanks, Jamie, for, for pointing us in that direction. We got particularly excited about one concept, which was lower whip, please. And that's whip <laughs> spelled W-I-P. Yeah, do you want to fill us in on what whip is and why we'd want to lower it, Jeffrey? Yeah, whip is the phrase for work in progress. And uh, uh, I, I know that a lot of people would have heard of this from uh, Kanban, and uh, Kanban being this uh, model where you have uh, cards on a board and uh, in a given column, uh, you would have a, a quote unquote whip limit. So I'd say, you know, the work in progress in, in this column, we're going to, we're going to cap that. So let's um, make sure that you don't have too much happening in parallel. And I think it's interesting if we look back at the original article about uh, feature factory, and I think it's worth commenting if people haven't heard of the concept of feature factory before, it may sound, oh, feature factory, that sounds really good. But actually, no, <laughs> feature factory is a, is, is a bad idea. And, uh, and the original article that we'll link to will, will give you why. The original article was 12 signs you're working in a feature factory. And, and one of them he described was, the his second item was the rapid shuffling of teams and projects. And, and the idea is that instead of uh, compelling missions or initiatives, teams deal in feature and project assignments. And then the result is chronic multitasking and overutilization, and and this is what whip limits are uh, intended to prevent, uh, which is to say, if we only have uh, say three developers, then we shouldn't have three things in more than three things in development. And I think we'll go even further and say it's a question whether you even want to have three things in development with three developers. And I think this gets now. This is this is what whip is. Now we get to kind of why would we want a, a lower whip? If we have a, a, a high work in progress, then it really comes a question of like, do you actually have a team? Does the, does the team see itself as a team? As, and we have a, a functional definition of a team. To me, a, a, a team are a group of people who share a problem. When you have too much work in progress, everyone is working on different things. They're not actually sharing problems. Right. If I'm if I'm worried about how to get this screen working, you're worried about how to get that screen working. Someone else is testing what we did last week. Someone else is writing some documentation. Someone else is mocking up our next UI. We're all working all over the place. We're all busy, but we're not a team. We're a work group. We're all working next to each other. We all are, we might be colleagues, but we're not we're not a team because we're not working on the same problem. And I, I tend to say to teams that, or work groups that I coach that uh, I, I would like to help them to move from their current overutilization. I love that word. I'm going to start using that word from overutilization to uh, a, a, an environment in which they can say we're focused on throughput over utilization. Because I've got clients where the, the, the mantra is 
how many hours can you put on this project? What is your utilization? Is everybody typing? And that is usually a very negative sign when I see that, when the focus is on how many people are typing and uh, the, the extreme would be, can we send everybody to typing classes so they can type faster? Um, I, I don't think I've ever actually seen that, but I've seen things that are pretty close. So uh, th those are negative signs. Those are signs of the feature factory for me. It's high. You're attempting to increase your work in progress, and that is counterintuitively dangerous. Right. Now, for people who don't have any exposure to lean manufacturing and uh, who find this idea interesting they, they, because it, you know utilization sounds like a good thing like high utilization um this is like a classic trap of traditional manufacturing and um recommend the book uh, the goal uh, which introduced the idea of theory of constraints and makes a very compelling argument for why we should be looking at throughput rather than utilization um and so that there are times, even in a traditional factory with you know expensive machinery, that it's 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 better to not have those machines running all the time, <laughs> you, you, which which is uh, uh, antithetical to how factories used to be managed. And and if we move it here into the software world, people often think the worst thing to do is to have idle developers, or idle designers, or just essentially idle people in general. They look at the people as machines, the way traditional factory managers used to look at it. And they just want to make sure everyone is busy all the time. What's what's wrong with that is that it, it it's not effective in practice. Indeed. We find a lot of problems that happen here. And that's why as uh, we've, we've come back to the three-year update from John Cutler on the feature factory, he's sharing here's the kind of things that he's found to be important in moving away from that feature factory goal towards a uh, towards a, a more productive team. And a more productive team was one that's delivering more value, one that's, that's getting the outcomes that they want, not just outputs. And and that's that's one of the, the, the big mantras of people as they look to get away from the feature factory is it's not about being busy. It's not about, you know, signing, you know, tasks that you can tick off on a board, it's about getting actual business results. And, and that requires a bit more thought and care than simply keeping everyone busy all the time. Now, Score, you were telling me you had a, a great example of a place where you saw uh, you know, uh, too much work in progress, where things were kind of out of control along this dimension. Well, the, the, this organization is just so out of control, it's, it's uh, unbelievable. They have a uh, massive spreadsheet that captures the activity of everybody in the entire organization for a period of three months. And they spend a huge amount of time at the beginning of the quarter. You might notice that as we're recording this, this is halfway through October. They're still creating this for the three months at the end of the year. And they put a huge amount of effort into figuring out exactly how many days and what percentage down to the decimal point. Uh, you know, you're going to be 10.72% on this project for this week. And um, astonishingly, it never actually comes out that way. <laughs> but they've invested this huge amount of time in both creating the spreadsheet that, that defines what they'd like to do, and then doing a process they call leveling, which means they figure out how, because of course, everybody says, uh, I, I want 25% uh, of Jeffrey, and then somebody else says, I want 72% uh, of Jeffrey, and somebody else wants, uh, says they want 37% of Jeffrey. Then those never add up to 100%. So there's somebody who goes through and levels it, meaning it all comes out to 100% trying to make sure that Jeffrey is typing every single moment, <laughs> doing something on some project, and is uh, maximally uh, uh, efficient. 
and this breaks down horribly two weeks into the quarter, actually two weeks after they do the leveling, which is two weeks into the quarter. So a month in, this breaks down. It worked uh, apparently well when they were much smaller. Uh, I wasn't around for that. But as soon as I saw this, when I was coaching one of their, their team members, uh, I said, you know what, this is really not going to scale. And he said, yeah, it really isn't. So they're they're working toward a more traditional model where there's um, not this uh, attempt to, to have uh, death by spreadsheet, uh, detailed control over every element of uh, everybody's work. But that's that's the most um, outrageous example that I know of, but I've seen many others that, are, that try to come close. Oh, it's. Uh, I, I'll say that you, you said they're trying to get back to more traditional. This, to me, this is tradition. This is. I've I've seen this kind of approach in a lot of organizations, and I think this is, um, especially in the, the sort of pre-agile days, it was quite common that you'd have um, uh, teams composed of people from different functional areas, and they would be fractionally divided across many different projects, um, in exactly exactly this way even projects across different divisions, uh, and it led to all kinds of conflict. Um, and it's, it really introduces a massive inefficiency when you have, say, one thing we'd commonly see is, oh, we're stuck on this because we're waiting to get the uh, DB admin <laughs> to do some task related to the schema. And, and, but he's, he's uh, on this other project for the next three days, and so we're, we're kind of blocked until then. And that's the the irony of high work in progress is that you wind up with lower efficiency and lower throughput because you're trying to make sure everybody's busy all the time. If, the, if you looked just at the work of that DB admin, that DB admin is being maximally utilized. That person is busy on something else. Maybe you weren't ready for him yesterday, so uh, she wasn't available to, to do anything uh, else. Uh, she, was, she was doing another thing. She, she jumped onto that thing because you, weren't, uh, you didn't have work for her. But when you're actually waiting for her, you've got to now wait three days. So from her point of view, she's, maxim- she's typing all the time. But from the point of view of throughput for the whole organization, you've reduced it. And that's what often happens when you try to run a, a machine or a person or any system at 100% utilization. Right. And I, and I, exactly. And I, I think what, what, what you see here is um, something that seems rational in, in micro. When, when, you, when you look and you zoom way in, it seems what you're doing is something that's very logical. You know, that you're, you're making sure an individual is busy all the time and likely to be well utilized. And that seems very good. It's, it's but you, when you back out and you start looking at the system effects, you start to find problems. And I think uh, if you look at the feature factor approach versus more, um, I would say the, the, the newer thoughts about product management and ensuring you're getting value, then you're kind of going back even further because you're looking not just within our organization, but into our clients and saying, are they getting the results? Are we seeing outside of our building, are we seeing the uh, outcomes that we care about? That we're, Are we getting the changes in the world that were our aim? Uh, that's where these uh, you start really seeing the problems and understand that, that uh, these micro-optimizations work against you on that larger scale, which is the one that you really care the most about. Indeed. So the the solution is that uh, you should be trying to limit your work in progress. You should be trying to reduce it so that you're not trying to operate at 100%. And when you do that, and you can do that at larger and larger levels, as, as you were just saying, Jeffrey, when you've accomplished that, then you wind up with the opportunity to be more flexible and, and put your resources where they need to be and to reflect and to figure out that actually what you were doing and doing at 90 miles an hour 
uh, with 100% utilization actually wasn't useful because it wasn't actually good for your clients. The, the term for this in the original Kanban book, I think it was in that book anyway, is uh, Slack. But it's, it's not the, um, uh, the, the chatting client that, that people use today, the, uh, but it's Slack, like Slack in a rope that you're giving yourself uh, some space. Your, your rope is not taut. It's not pulled at both ends, so it's uh, tight, but it's actually got a little slack in it, and that gives you the flexibility to explore, to um, reallocate, and to try different things. I would say if people haven't read it, Slack is also a very good book, <laughs> uh, uh, which uh, I believe was written by one of the authors of, of uh, PeopleWare. Um, uh, about the same point, Tom DeMarco wrote uh, Slack, Getting Past Burnout, Busy Work, and the Myth of Total Efficiency. So I should read that. <laughs> we'll go ahead and add a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, this is just one, by the way, of, uh, of, of 12 uh, items that... Uh, uh, John has put his blog of his three-year update of uh, saying things uh, that, that he's learned about overcoming, getting away from the feature factory anti-pattern. And I think they're all worth checking out. And when we talked about it, we thought we could probably do a podcast on each one. So we're going to uh, just stick with just the uh, number eight lower whip today. Um, but hopefully people who are interested in getting away from a feature factory can check that out. And uh, if you have any favorites you'd like us to take a look at, uh, you can let us know. Absolutely. Yeah, just like Jamie did, and we thank him again for pointing out this article. Somehow missed uh, both of our, our radar screens, but uh, Jamie said you should look at this, and he was absolutely right. If listeners would like to get in touch about that, about other things they're wanting to try or want us to talk about in this article or elsewhere, or if you're trying some of these, if you're not sure how to give yourself slack in, in your organization, that's something we would love to talk about. A place we could do that is uh, at the um, DevOps Enterprise Summit. So if you're, you're listening to this on, on the day it comes out, um, we're still there, so come and find us. And um, you can also, <laughs> of course, find us on Troubleshooting Agile uh, sorry, troubleshootingagile.com, which is our website with email and Twitter and all the fun things. And uh, of course, our book is coming out soon. There'll be a link in the show notes if you'd like to pre-order Agile Conversations, which is all about all of these techniques and how you can actually implement them in your organization. So we'd love to have you do that. And the final thing we'd love you to do is to subscribe to the podcast. So click that button, whatever it is in, in your app of choice, because uh, we come out every Wednesday and we try to have something interesting to say. And uh, about 600 of you think that we do. So we hope that uh, more of you will join. Excellent. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl. 